there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, mid to late August 2013. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Esther. Uh, hi, I'm Steve Gaynor, and my game of the week, despite my respect for the man, is not John Romero's Daikatana. <laughs> wow, there's a there's a blast from the past, Steve. <laughs> Uh, Steve, you are here today because you've just done a, a pretty remarkable thing that I, I couldn't be more uh, tickled with. Um, one of actually several things. One of the things that you've done is left big like AAA development with huge teams of people, uh, each working on a very tiny specific piece of a bigger work, kind of very Hollywood game development. And uh, I, I believe I would describe this. I, I presume you would agree. You've made a successful transition into indie game development. Uh, yeah, so far. <laughs> it's, it's, as of this week, it's working out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I used to work at um, 2K Marin on Bioshock 2 and the Minerva's Den DLC for that. And I know that you were a big fan of Bioshock 2 um, with, uh, with, with, your, with your unique uh, <laughs> take on, on things. Uh, and, well, and, and certainly Minerva's Den. I mean, when I heard about gone home i didn't i don't i'm awful in terms of following press but i didn't know anything about it all i knew was your name and some game called gone home and i knew your name from minerva's den which was very suitable i i I thought a a great way to play on bioshock's strengths to extend the story to take it in new places while respecting where it had previously been so all i knew was hey indie game from this guy named steve gainer who made minerva's den Oh. Yeah, and then after that, I worked for a year at Irrational on Bioshock Infinite, and uh, yeah, uh, then yeah, decided you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't the place for me, and came back to the West Coast, and uh, with a couple of my my former cohort from uh, 2K Marin, we started uh, the Fulbright Company. And uh, just to give shout outs to the other, uh, I guess at this point, three folks at Fulbright. There's there's someone named Carla. I can pronounce that yep. name. There's a is it a a Kate, Katie. Yeah, Kate. And, yeah, and I have no idea what to make of this last fellow's name. <laughs> so, so I founded the company with Carla Zamanja and Janaman Nordhagen, a very Norwegian name, uh, who are the 2D artist and my story partner uh, and the programmer on the game, respectively. And then soon after we started the game, we started working with Kate Craig, who is up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and she did all of the 3D art. Uh, just because it sounded so fun, I want to hear ya- I want to hear you say Janaman's name again. <laughs> it was Janaman Nordhagen. <laughs> I could totally see that guy like on the prow of a Viking ship. <laughs> just uh, with that name. I could just yeah, imagine when, with that name. When I first met him, he had uh, a long, glorious ponytail uh, and a goatee. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys' first game is uh, Gone Home. Um, I couldn't be happier about my normal policy of not wanting to know things about games that I'm looking forward to playing. I'm the same way with movies. Uh, I feel very strongly that in a narrative-driven experience, and this is the case with so many video games these days, it's really important to let the developer, the creators of the game, unfold stuff for you at their pace. And a lot of times marketing does violence to this. Uh, I I feel it's the case with with movies, certainly with games. So I was so glad to be able to come to Gone Home knowing nothing about it. Um, So if you are listening and you have not played Gone Home, I 
I kind of want to tell you to go away because what <laughs> I want to do with Steve right now is talk is have a conversation from the perspective of somebody who's finished the game. So if that is not you, uh, as much as I hate to say it, uh, please leave. Uh, go, <laughs> go enjoy Gone Home. It's it's uh, shorter than most games. It's a two hour experience basically, and then come back and listen again once you've finished. Uh, yeah, because go ahead. We, we've, we've had we've had so many. Uh write-ups in like blogs and even in reviews and stuff on major sites that they start with <laughs> listen uh you don't want to know anything about this game just go play it uh don't read my review <laughs> which is which is which is funny to see and, and we take as a great compliment yeah well as a storyteller you must really appreciate that in a way too because i can imagine how delicate it must have been to talk about gone home to sell it to people to get them excited without doing some narrative violence to it right yeah i mean we, we you know i i had to concentrate on the the kind of core conceits you know the premise because i don't feel like anything that you learn in like the first five minutes can count as a spoiler um maybe unless you're playing like 30 flights of loving and the whole game is 15 minutes long but uh <laughs> in a game like this you know in the first couple of rooms everything that you know i think is fair game so you know i i, I talked about you know, you come home from this trip and your family's supposed to be there, but they're not there. And it's about exploring the house to find the, the, to find out, you know, what happened to them and where they are and what's happened while you were gone. And, you know, you can talk about the time period and the, the, the location and, you know, kind of all of the surrounding, um, elements. Uh, but yeah, we couldn't really, you know, talk about this, that, and the other thing happens in the story because the gameplay of our game is, is finding that out. So, Steve, if I was your, uh, I don't know what this role would normally be in AAA development, but if I was your producer or one of your guys in PR, that stuff you just now told me about Gone Home, I would come back at you and say, Steve, that's that's not going to sell games. You're just making people think they're up for one of those like broken sword adventure things. Uh, we, we need to get into how it has cool, relevant themes and how it maybe is or isn't a horror game. Uh, we need to maybe talk about the fact that it addresses things like homosexuality and, and, and sexuality amongst children, you know, coming into their sexuality. Uh, Steve, we need to say more about it. That, that's what I would come back. It, and I, I would hate myself because <laughs> I would really want. But uh, I just feel like what you just told me um, is not a red herring, but it does not begin to touch on why I liked the game. Um, yeah. And, and it was it was interesting. It was important to us not to yeah give away too much. And it was you know we were constantly looking for more stuff we could talk about. Like we licensed you know music from the early '90s, and we'd be like check out our soundtrack and you know all that all that kind of stuff. But um, we've been really we've been really grateful that we've never. So the when we first started having people play the game, like journalists did a hands-on playthrough at the end of last year. We we made the first half of the game, like the first hour, hour and a half of the game um, first, and we entered it into the IGF, and it was almost like, you know, Act 1, um, or, or, or you know, um, and you could play it start to finish, and then it just ended there, and it was like to be continued. Um, and so that goes all the way up to where you open Sam's locker, and they have their first kiss, and it's sort of a climactic moment for that part of the game. And we had we had journalists, and we had um, other developers, and, and, and playtesters, and IGF judges, and everything play all the way up to that point. And we never, you know, I, as far as I was concerned, I'm like, we let you play it. It's all fair game. If you want to talk about anything in there, that's act one. It's all the setup anyway. And people totally voluntarily, no one mentioned anything about the progression of the story or the, the themes that it hit on because that, you know, some people told me they were just like, if I was a player, I wouldn't have wanted to have that spoiled for me because discovering it was, was really cool. 
And so we didn't have any spoilers about, you know, even what the game was really about until it was out and people were playing it, which was Uh awesome. Uh, Steve, one of the things I want to ask you, uh, I, I would be curious where you would go with this question. Uh, is Gone Home uh, horror? Um, I think it really depends. Uh, for some people, it definitely is. Some people, even in playtests when we were when we were still developing the game, were like, "I can't play this game. It's too scary." Uh, and, and I think a lot of it depends on what you bring with you to the game. Because I, I totally admit that, you know, we put in a bunch of cues, you know, a bunch of kind of tropey uh, uh, signifiers, like, you know, dark and stormy night and a creaky old house and the uncle that, you know, left the, the house to the family and did he go crazy and, oh, is he still in the house? You know, like, whatever, all this stuff that people are going to start thinking about. The thing, so, but the thing that I wanted to do and the thing that I, I played with very intentionally is, like, normally you, you make a game and it has to have some aspect of unreality to it right like because you're doing combat or you're doing puzzles and so it's always going to be about like spies or zombies or you know spacemen or you know something that isn't just your everyday life and so i i was i we were kind of intentionally messing with people by you know things like putting the the red stains in the bathtub and stuff you know being like giving them these these cues that are like in a video game this would be blood splatters and a ghost would come out. But, and we're going to put those images on screen because I just found it interesting to constantly reinforce to the player through those things that, oh no, this is just a normal house. <laughs> oh, it, it seems scary. It seems like maybe there's something supernatural. And these girls are talking about ghosts and there's stains in the, in the bathtub. But if I just went into a normal house and I encountered a ghost hunter's journal that a teenage girl had written, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't think to myself, well, I wonder if ghosts are real. <laughs> you know, I would think like, oh, these kids are just having fun. Like they're they're messing around. And so, we I I almost wanted to drive home the fact that no, this game is completely literalist and only takes place in the world we actually live in by kind of having little reminders of the the pushed aspects that you would be more likely to to encounter in other games. Now, I I don't mean to call you out, but it almost sounds like you're you're sidestepping. Or maybe even apologizing for some of the trappings of horror. Um, are, are you reluctant to like? Does it feel dismissive if I were to describe Gone Home as a horror game? I, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. I the, I guess the thing. So the the side of it that I would say is definitely, especially the the earlier in the game you are, I think, the more unsettling it feels and the, the tenser you are because you just don't know what's coming unless, you know, you've listened to a podcast like this one and it's all been spoiled <laughs> for you. But, um, yeah, and you stop listening, everybody. Uh, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure they're um, gone. I, okay, yeah, they've left. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, because you don't know what's coming and then hopefully as you play through, you, you get into this realization of like, okay, this really is just a house at night. There really isn't anything that's going to jump out and get me. And so the, the only reason I wouldn't want to come out and say, this is a horror game, come buy our cool horror game, is because we are never going to pay it off, right? Like, we we pay off a totally different experiential space than what someone who is, like, a horror fan looking for a horror experience would come to the game for. So, so you know, I don't want to, to be out there saying, like, horror fans, come get terrified, you know, because there isn't ever going to be that, that, that really, you know, incredible payoff that you have in a classic horror film or something, but it definitely starts with notes of sort of a dark, ominous, unsettling 
situation that I think evolves into something else as you play through it. Okay, I'm going to – I apologize in advance, Steve, but I'm going to be the kind of dick who on a podcast tells the creator of a game that he's wrong. <laughs> okay, go for it. Uh, because I definitely feel that it is a horror game, and I feel what maybe you're kind of struggling with is this idea of of how crappy and how B-movie most horror movies are. They're so Pound for pound, horror is one of the worst genres you can turn to if you want – quality and creativity and and meaningful narrative and relevance because there's just so much crap about a dude running around killing people or a dopey so, monster so you, on the sci-fi channel. so you do you you feel like like gone home is a horror game absolutely absolutely so justify that like what's your what what makes you feel that to, to me horror uh relies on tapping into one of the most primal human Feelings. It's not even a feeling. It's an instinct, and and that that's fear. Uh, at its most superficial, this can just be you know a dude running around with a knife killing sorority girls, and that stuff is stupid. That's definitely horror. But I feel that horror gets a bad name because when it's done well, it taps into these these fears that are more universal. They're they're more existential and important. Um, if you'll allow me to just rattle off a couple of things, I, I think there's a, a zombie movie called 28 Days Later, which is about fear uh-huh. of ab- abandonment. Um, yeah. the, the Exorcist is about fear of, of, of loss of faith. Um, there's a, a fantastic horror movie that plays it real for the most part, similar to Gone Home, and Gone Home reminded me of this, from Australia called Lake Mungo. And Lake Mungo is a horror movie about loneliness. Um mm-hmm. A horror movie like Session 9, or uh, there's a, a movie called Take Shelter that came out a couple years ago. It's about the stress of parenthood. Um, David Cronenberg's body dysmorphia stuff, I think, yeah. has a lot to do with the fear of cancer, for, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, horror doesn't necessarily have to include the supernatural. That, 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 that helps a lot. Um, but what I feel you guys are, are playing on, even once the ghost stuff starts to fall into the background... Uh, is dread. Uh, There's a constant dread that drives you all the way up to, I guess, what you would call the final shot or the reveal about the narrative structure of Gone Home. There's a constant dread that something has gone wrong, that something terrible has happened, that you, Steve Gaynor, and the other three of you folks up there have have made me care about a character who's going to meet a terrible end. Uh, and, and that is the stuff of horror, I think, is making you care about characters that, that get dispatched. Um, yeah. Is it, but I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like, like, I mean, obviously you feel like it is still horror, but do you feel like if someone, you know, someone who is looking for a horror experience, if, if you, if you push those buttons and you push them to care about someone and, and, and feel that person in danger and feel this dread that something terrible is going to happen and then you get to the end, oh, and everything's fine, actually. Right. Like, w- w- wouldn't that person horror movies like, don't oh, have this to- isn't a horror movie. Like, uh, is there no, a yeah. horror movie where nobody dies, you know, where sure, everything absolutely. is just, like, in your head? Because like, that sounds cool, but I don't know of it. Absolutely, yeah. Horror movies can have good endings. I mean, hor- not everyone, 28 Days Later has a happy ending, you know? Uh, sure, yeah. The, the Exorcist, well, yeah, le- definitely horror movies don't have to have uh, terrible endings where, where everybody dies. They usually right. do because that's a more effective way to impact people in the audience. 
Um, but I don't think they have to do that. Uh, yeah. So the fact that you guys, at the last moment, and bless your hearts for doing this too, because I was so moved. I mean, I talked about my feeling at the end of the game. The release of tension to know right. that nothing terrible had happened was was just overwhelming. And it was such, I feel, a, a, a powerful, bold choice. It would have been so easy to give some grim message, uh, especially with the atmosphere and the tone you guys set through a lot of the game. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that you pulled away from that at the last moment uh, was just way more powerful than, than a simple horror movie with a bad ending, I, I felt. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you feel that way, because, yeah, we um, we spent a lot of time... We didn't know what the ending of the game was Whoa, until a really? couple of weeks. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh. we, 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 didn't, we didn't know what the end was definitely when we started working. So we worked on this thing kind of episodically, right? Like we built the first half first and put it into the IGF and kind of got it to a beta level of finish. I didn't know what the end of the story was then. We started working on part two and I wrote out the story and I thought I knew what it was and it wasn't good enough. And uh, long story short, we didn't actually know what the end of the game was until like two weeks before we went in to record it in the studio with the, with the actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at that point, okay, we've got the lines. We're committed to it. Like, like that's what we're, for shipping, you know, but it was like, it was a, it was a long journey because for, for a long time, it was never grim and dark and everybody was dead or anybody was dead. It was never about somebody being dead or suicide or anything like that, but it was for a long time, much more melancholy and they didn't end up together. And it was sort of a, a very, um, you know, like, uh, in some ways equally realistic, approach of they grew apart and and you know they they didn't get to have a happy ending it also wasn't like a tragic horrible you know uh, a dark ending it was just sort of a, a, a middle of the road melancholy ending and i and i wrote it and i was working towards it and i was writing why this was happening and the girls were growing apart because they just you know didn't like each other as much as they thought they did and i was just i was writing i'm just like fuck this like i <laughs> I, I like these characters too much, and I don't want them to be driven apart, and I don't want them to stop liking each other. It's like we need to have a reason that it's really hard for them to be together, and it seems like all the factors in their lives are making it so it doesn't make any sense for them to, to be together. And then they say, no, you know, we're, we're, we're going to reject all that, and we're going to make our own way. And I... I'm glad that it works because it could, and I think some people have even seen it as being sort of, um, pat and kind of a, hat, uh, you know, a Hollywood, you know, um, convenient ending. But, you know, the, the, the idea from my side was, you know, there are all these factors in their lives that make it really hard for them to have what they want to have. And then at the end, they just pull the ripcord and say, we're we're going to give up whatever we have to give up to to do this thing um and yeah the i think that that you're right that the the emotional outlay from that instead of being you know like horrible depressed sadness cuz cuz like she killed herself or something is like that really tangible feeling of relief cuz you thought it could go that way and then it doesn't and i'm glad that uh that came across for you well there's even more i mean if you it's still entirely possible, of course, that the girls grow apart and it doesn't work out. But I kind of feel like that's right. beside the point. You know, what yeah. would be pat is somehow trying to shoehorn in and they lived happily ever after. The ending right. is a very specific moment in time. Right, and it's, right. an, it, it's an affirmation of the power and ira- the irrational power of love. Uh, right. You know, yeah. that's what ends up 
this horror story ends up being about. Um, yeah. and, and, and I, um, we have friends who, um, are gay women and grew up, uh, in army families. And, and I, you know, interviewed them about their experience, um, growing up, you know, on army bases and everything. And that's where, um, Lonnie's note about, you know, how the army is like a family to her and, and all this stuff came from. Um, but you know, they didn't know what the end of the game was until they played it. And then they were like, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but yeah, she's fucked. She's AWOL. Like military <laughs> police are, are coming after her. Like, she, like one of them was like, my uncle did, did almost the same thing. He went to basic and he was there for like two weeks and he was like, fuck this and ran off. And he was in military prison for 18 months. <laughs> wow. Uh, so they found him. Um, you Thanks know, for so bringing like, me down, Steve. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, you know, but the thing is, it's like 1995. You didn't have to show your passport at the border going to Canada or, or Mexico. <laughs> so, and like, there's the, you know, there's the implication that, um, or not, oh, I mean, it's, it's stated more or less outright, but, uh, uh, Lonnie's family is from Mexico. So I don't know. They, they have options. Uh, but the, the whole point is, you know, maybe they run off somewhere and nobody ever finds them. Maybe it doesn't work out. I mean, there are a couple of teenagers that are going to try to make a life, a life for themselves, which is going to be really hard anyway. So yeah, when people are like, oh, well, it's just a happy ending with a big rainbow in the sky and a, you know, bright sunset, uh, I'm like, well, there's, there's no guarantee that stuff's going to be great after that night, you know, but um, at least there was that one grand gesture in the moment. Well, and that to me is the ultimate reveal. Uh, not that Sam is, is in love with another girl, not that nobody's died, not that Janice and Terry aren't in as dire straits as you might think. The ultimate reveal is that the two of them made that decision. And once you have told me that, once I know about that, I don't need to know anything else. I mean, that's what it leads up to. That's that's kind of the emotional payoff for me, is yeah. that through all this, through the doubt, through the circumstances, they make this powerful, irrational decision. And, you know, I, I don't need to know where it goes. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, let, let's talk about the the aspect of homosexuality. Uh, does, does the word gay or lesbian appear in the game? Um... I mean, I, I just uh, I ask because the, I don't the, remember. It. Go ahead. Sorry. The word homosexuality does on a TV guide clipping. There's like an, an, uh, an episode of Inside Edition um, mentions it. But, but yeah, as far as as yeah. far as Sam's writing or, or the stuff that she is saying, uh, I, I I forgot where I read it. I, I, by the way, this is one of these games where I love reading people's reactions after they've played it um there's it, it encourages people to write about things beyond just mechanics and i love that in a, in a video game uh one of the things that i read that i don't necessarily disagree with but that i don't that i don't agree with but i would be curious how you would respond to this uh, i did read someone say that she felt the the homosexuality aspect was not necessary and this could have been the same story if sam had been in love with say daniel or just another boy uh Talk to that briefly, if you would. Um, I don't. I don't think that's true, and I think it's just because there is the aspect of um, of secretiveness and and ostracism and anxiety that comes with the additional layer of. So, like, I, you know, part of Sam's story comes from my own experience, and probably everyone's in you know in when, when you're a teenager, which is you really like someone, maybe you think you're in love with them and you don't know how they feel, you know, and, and, and you're like, I feel 
really strongly towards this person and it, and I'm finally going to tell them and I don't know how they're going to react and you know that's that's something everyone's been through but then Sam on top of that has the anxiety of and I don't know if Lonnie is gay or not I don't know and and even if she is now we can't tell kids at school about this we can't let our parents know we have to like hide it and and so there's this additional anxiety of once I have made this connection with this other person now everyone else outside the two of us is giving us additional you know pressure that we have to worry about what they know and how they'll react and um and and I think that you know that that those stakes for the characters are different than yeah, if it was if it was Sam and and just some boy from from school, because the place that we started this this story from was not that we wanted to tell a story that that we didn't start with. Let's tell a story that's about LGBT issues and figure out how to do that. We started from we want to make this game where you walk around a house and you open drawers and cabinets and you find stuff and you reconstruct the story of the people that lived here through exploring just one house. And so, you know, we were like, okay, well the conflict, there has to be drama. So like the conflict has to be within the family. You know, we you know, we immediately thought of like Romeo and Juliet. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so that's like Montagues and Capulets. That's why yeah. they, that's why a boy and a girl couldn't be together, but it's really not contemporary. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we were like, okay, but the, the core idea of if the kid of the family fell in love with someone that their parents didn't approve of, that's like a really strong and sort of, um, you know, irreconcilable conflict that's going to happen within the family. And, and so we, you know, at this point we were like, well, if, if she falls in love with another girl, that is something that is actually relevant and would have the same stakes and that we could explore. Um, and, and so, you know, that was the reason that, you know, that, or I should say that was the, the impetus. That was the seed of the story that we told. And so in that respect, I think that that aspect of Sam's character is really important. And I, I can't tell you, Steve, how much I admire uh, you guys when when I play Gone Home, anybody who plays Gone Home can can identify with that thrill of being in love with someone as a child. And the fact that you make it so clear that that sensation, that thrill, that feeling, that uncertainty, that uh, that confusion uh, is just a part of the human condition, whether you're in love with a boy or a girl, I feel is such an important thing to talk about in video games. You know, so many video gamers were so backwards in so many ways <laughs> with people calling each other fag on Xbox Live and stuff. And, you know, when, when Bioware does their same-sex relationships, I applaud them for doing it, but it just feels as clunky as their opposite-sex relationships. Right. Uh, right. And it's a little embarrassing, but I'm glad they're doing it. So I'm just so glad to see you guys extending to that part of the human condition, being in love, that, that same identifiable thrill and excitement to a same-sex couple as an opposite-sex couple. Uh, yeah. I just feel it's a really important part of Gone Home. Well, and something that I've been I've been sort of impressed by, and I mean, I will, I will admit that I have not been delving into the parts of the internet that I would be most likely to see the uh, most virulent uh, <laughs> responses <laughs> to our game or whatever, but um, that said, you know, people that have, like, seeked us out or have that, that have, the criticism I've seen like, you know, I, I expected some people not to react well to the game. The thing that I kind of actually enjoy is the fact that 90% of the people that are haters are hating on us because we're, like, 
a two or three hour game that's 20 bucks and almost <laughs> almost nobody is you know like i don't like this game because it's about gay people you know like it's like i don't like this game because it's not a good enough value <laughs> right. uh which i think is i think that's actually kind of meaningful you know like like not many not many gamers are 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 being conservative about the content and hardly anyone has you know said like oh i couldn't identify with this game or i didn't you know get the love story because it was about two girls being in love um we had a couple of people which are actually comments that i like that make me laugh that speaking of the the horror game thing a couple of people there, there was a really good tweet early on that somebody tweeted like i finished this game and it doesn't have any serial killers or ghosts it's just a couple of lesbians <laughs> <laughs> and they were like really disappointed because they thought it was like a horror game that was gonna have like murderers in it something uh you know but like whatever so if, if people are disappointed because they thought they were buying horror and they weren't or they think 20 bucks is too big of a price tag but they can be on board for you know the story that we're telling and the characters that we're expressing i think that's really cool right uh, uh talk a bit about so uh this complaint that it's too short um I, I, I so bristle at that, Steve, because no one told Raymond Carver, Flannery O'Connor that they should write novels instead of short stories and that their short stories needed, you know, 30 more pages. Uh, yeah. don't, do you not bristle at that when people are like, your game is too short? Uh, does, does that, do you understand that? Does it bother you? I mean, the thing that is unfortunate about it, I guess, is like, I know, I will guarantee that a first time player that isn't using like a guide or anything like that. There is no way that you can find everything in the house, everything that's actually relevant to the story and that adds to the experience in less than like three hours, probably like maybe a little less. Right. But like you said, you played like two hours. If you went back and did another playthrough, you would find stuff that you that you missed. Like oh, I just, never, I I never even opened Oscar's safe. By the way, I, I, which I didn't realize until after <laughs> I played and was reading about the game. I was like, oops, I forgot about that safe. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know like. So when people are like, oh, this is like an hour game, this is like an hour and a half game, I'm like, if you want to burn through it and be like, sweet, I got the credits, I'm done, this game sucks, like, all I can say is you only played half of it, you know? Um, and if, and if 20 bucks is too much for three hours of a game that, that, that you think is cool, then like, all right, I don't know. Okay, like, sorry, uh, you know, like sixty bucks is not too much for a lot of games that have like an eight-hour, you know, uh, campaign. So I, I, I don't know. But the thing is, you know, like that's the wonderful thing about Steam, right? And like Humble and everything is like, if twenty bucks is too much for you at launch, wait till it's twelve bucks on a Steam sale in six months or something. You know, like it. it I, I, on some level, I take it as a as as praise that people are like, I want to be playing this right now, but it's too expensive. <laughs> you know, like if they, <laughs> it would be way worse if they just didn't give a shit about caring about playing it either way. Right. So I guess it, the, just the, the concept of pricing of games and certainly with the iOS market, that's got to be such shaky ground for folks like you to be on in terms of where do we situate ourselves? What's fair? What's not fair? What's going to piss people off? What's not. Uh, but as a consumer and as a critic, as a guy who loves to write about games, I hate this approach of of weighing games like pounds of meat at a certain price. That that just drives me crazy. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, I I would I, I hope I mean the thing about Gone Home is that in a lot of ways it is all about density, right? Like it's all about like one room 
in Gone Home is as dense as some levels in other games, just as far as like stuff to find and stuff to, to interact with and, and stuff to rediscover when you come back through it and everything. Um, and, and so hopefully, you know, we have provided three very dense hours that there is no filler in and there's no downtime in and, and it's all player driven and you never just sit back and like watch a cutscene or whatever. And so those three hours are pure you know uh, like like experience and so you know if 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 20 bucks for for three hours of that kind of experience is too much like all right you know like and i i hope you'll grab it when it costs less or you know nobody's gonna make you buy it or whatever but as a player i will personally put a lot of value into an hour of a game that is totally engaging for me more so than five hours where I, I can sleepwalk through half of it, you know? And I, I'd actually go, uh, I'd put it slightly differently, Steve, in that for me, it's not even so much about density as it is uh, emotional intensity. For instance, what I, there, there's a single moment in, uh, in Gone Home where you discover Sam's homework on the reproductive system, and I, I wrote about this briefly in my review. I had put on her father's record player, so there was right. a soundtrack to this moment that I'm <laughs> sure you guys intended. So I put on the record player, and I was like, oh, look, you can press, oh, it's playing all this music. What's this? I'm going to read this. Uh, reading her homework and the, the revelation that Holy cats! This character is way more than I ex- than I knew about than I expected. Furthermore, I may not even you know Katie, uh, I think that's her name, may not even yeah. be the main character in the game. The the emotional intensity of that moment and the promise of where the game was going to go and how effectively that that snippet of writing, what you guys did with the concept of this really precocious, really perceptive, insightful girl doing her homework, what you did with that moment. I, I don't get that from any $60 game. You know, <laughs> to me, that right there is is what somebody should be willing to pay for, over and above how much time they're going to spend with it or whether or not there's any filler. You know, if you can offer a peak moment like that in a game, that to me is where a game maker earns his or her keep. Uh, so Yeah, yeah, and I, I really appreciate that cuz I mean, you know, that was that was just a that was such a weird piece of writing that I did where it was like, it's, it's one of the, the things that isn't plot relevant in any way. It's character relevant, obviously, but like, I think I, I think, I think I had written out all the rest of the stuff for part one and then I was like, I need to do, we should have some of Sam's homework in here. And I found that sex ed assignment. That's a real sex ed assignment <laughs> that, um, that I just downloaded online. It's like Washington public schools materials that you can just download and use freely. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, how would Sam respond to this? You know, like, cause the, the writing of that, of that assignment is so patronizing, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, isn't it amazing how the female body prepares for pregnancy? And like, you know, Sam's gay and she knows it. And it's like, you know, all, like all these different aspects of it, she would, she would probably, as, to use the word you're using earlier, bristle at this assignment and just how condescending it is almost. And so in my shoes, like, I think, I think I'd actually been reading um, somebody had just linked like to the Wikipedia page of a female spy in World War II, and so that was kind of in my head at the same time. And so, yeah, my my thinking was Sam was doing her history homework at the same time as she had this assignment. And she, <laughs> you know, because um, I actually put a history book next to that sex ed assignment. So anyway, um, and and so it was all just sort of this this organic thing where I was like, all right, I'll write this. And I just kind of dashed it off, and it turned out 
funny and I was, I was happy with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I just, it was fun to put myself in the, in the, the character's shoes and say, Sam would not take this sitting down. What would she write in, in response to this thing? And it's even Steve part, and I'm sure you realize this, uh, it's part of a, it's, it's a story arc in a way. And, and, and this to me is again, one of the things I really appreciated about Gone Home is how, how much you guys do with the conventional, hey, I found an audio log or, or I found a written note, uh, gameplay trope. You know, that's, yeah. that's the entirety of, and, and this is an example of how much you can accomplish with that. So, the, the story arc for me is seeing the homework assignment and also having the music playing in the background, reading what Sam did with it, seeing in red pen the little see me that her yeah. teacher put on there. And then later, the payoff is finding out what Katie did with that homework assignment. And right. uh, that's a story arc right there. That's that's character development about a relationship between the two characters and how different they are. And it, it makes all the more important that the overall structure of this game is kind of a girl coming out to her sister, to her older sister, with whom she must have a, a complex relationship because they're so different in ways. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I, you know what? I, you guys should charge 60 bucks for the game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do a reverse Steam sale. We'll say this costs three <laughs> times as much for two days. <laughs> uh, so there are other interpretations that I, I don't want to ask you about, because I would love to think that, well, uh, I've seen one interpretation that about what Oscar did, that there was actually some, some child abuse involved. And you know what? I, I don't want to ask you about your intent, because in a way, I, I don't really care. Uh, I, I yeah, respect that. Inter- exactly right. Um, but what I do want to ask you, Steve, is if you know whether or not that happened, do you have in your head... A clear A, then B, then C happened, D, then E, then F didn't happen, or is it even ambiguous to you? In other words, do you, Steve Gaynor, know the reality of what Oscar did or didn't do, how far things went with Janice and Rick, uh, or is that not important to you as well? Um, there are some things. So I'll say that everything that happens after the credits um, is ambiguous to me as it is to anyone else, right? So, okay. like... Like, I don't know if dad finishes writing another book or gets it published, right? Like, the the intent there is that he mentions in that letter, like, I know you've said you don't publish new work, but I want to send it to you anyway. You know, so, like, but I, maybe they take it, maybe he finds another publisher, maybe they shoot it down. Like, I, I don't have any idea, right? Um, stuff within the frame, I would say that I at least have a known intent for, I have an internal timeline for, and um, Austin Walker did that right up, I think, uh, if it's the same one that I read about Oscar and Terry's background. And I mean, I'll say that it 100% matches my blueprint. And I, and as far as I'm concerned, it is totally accurate to, to what I meant to put in the game. Um, but, I, you know, so like, like, like you said, what I think doesn't really matter past what's actually on screen but he at least did the detective work and reconstructed the events as i believe that 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 they are okay um, fair enough. but other other interpretations are obviously completely valid mm-hmm. uh let's talk a bit about what some people would call uh red herrings but i like to think of, of as more setting a tone and even introducing themes um 
for instance, the uh, ghost stuff, the dad's time travel, uh, the bits about the controlled burn that Janice is going to be doing. Um, are those uh, – do you feel comfortable with the term red herring? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I guess so with the time travel thing and the ghost thing, that, that sort of, that, that mostly plays on the, the idea I was, I was talking about earlier, which is just sort of playing on the player's confirmation bias a little bit and saying like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you fodder to, to question, oh, is this going to be like a, like, like video games I've played and, and there's going to be a ghost that jumps out of the closet and then paying that off by denying it instead of fulfilling it. Um, the controlled burn thing, um, I've had people say like, oh man, it, like controlled burn, that sounds dangerous. Like maybe somebody's going to get like, like, you know, they get, she's going to get caught in the fire. You know, like, I don't know what, I, I never even thought of that when I was putting it in. Well, other, other people to- were, you know, were like, that's, oh, maybe something's going to happen with this controlled burn. And I was mostly just like, Controlled burn is something that happens if you're a forest ranger. It's like a major operation that you have to undertake, and her being in charge of it, and it being like a thing she could excel at that her uh, superiors would be happy with and stuff, like, and that would be a reason for more personnel to be assigned to her unit and all that, like, was the reasoning behind it. But yeah, some people also read into that as a potential like threat or. or well, you know, Steve, you you might be a casualty of timing. I don't know if you you know this, but about I want to say two months ago. And I'm get was it Arizona? I forget. But there was some awful situation where I think twenty elite firefighters were killed in a controlled burn. Yeah, um, and there's also a ton of wildfires burning right now in the right. in the northwest and in northern California. Um, but no, you know, I mean, I yeah, I I wrote the thing. I wrote that part of it more than a year ago, and it was just something for her role as a supervisor at a at a, at a national park that might mm-hmm. be part of her job. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I, uh, I, like Austin Walker's bit about, uh, the abuse angle ties into some of the time travel stuff, but I, I just want to briefly mention right. for me, the time travel stuff, I mean, the, the, the stuff about ghosts is definitely, I, I think relates to this idea that, uh, the, the past haunts us, backgrounds haunts us, you know, the, as a, as a metaphor almost that, that totally works for me. I didn't feel there was any, any fake out there. Uh, the controlled burn just leading into this sense of dread uh, that that was fine. The time travel stuff, uh, and I'm maybe this is just me, but you get to the end of the game and you discover the uh, the, the the journal entries that that are playing as voiceovers that have been playing as voiceovers in the previous part of the game. Right. You know, yeah. You only discover that stuff at the end of the game. Yet that stuff is played over the course of the game. So to me, uh, it reminds me a bit of a Steven Soderbergh movie called The Limey, where yeah. Terrence Stamp is on an airplane going home, and the movie and the movie plays with this by having some unreliable narrator stuff. The movie is just him recalling what had happened before he right. went home. Uh, so for me, I almost got this sense that that. Uh, Katie is, and, and I keep screwing up. So there's someone named Katie working with you guys, and it's Katie in the game. Uh, it's it's Kate Craig. Uh, Kate, she doesn't okay. go by Katie, but yes, there's okay. a 
Yes. Yes. Katie's the character. That's why I was getting confused. Okay. So uh, it's almost for me like Katie is reading the journal and remembering the stuff she was finding as she went around the house. And there's this sense of going back in time and how when you do, you see things differently. You can react differently to things. So for me, that time travel stuff didn't seem like a fake out. It felt appropriate to the overall structure. And it and this idea of, well, wait, how was I hearing these awesome voiceovers if I haven't read the journal yet? What? Right. And yeah, yeah. And that's that's an interesting take because I hadn't associated those things. But yes, the the intended implication is at the very last moment of the game, you realize that you've been playing the whole thing as a flashback, essentially, you know, like in in the present tense. The game starts after the credits end with Katie sitting there reading through all the journal entries and thinking, oh, that's what that note was about, and that's what that object meant, and, and so on and so forth. And we didn't want to hit that too hard and, and smash you over the head with it and, and try to do some kind of fucking, like, Tyler Durden moment with it or something. But, you know, if the if the implication is there and and people hook into it, I think that's, that's cool. Uh, how integral, or how, during the, the process of thinking up this story... Uh, how much was the, and I'm not even sure what to call it. Is it like girl punk, the riot girl music? Yeah, riot uh, girl music works. Was that consistently a part of it? Did that come in later? Uh, and I, I didn't realize, I'm, I'm not familiar with that music very well, but I didn't realize, I thought maybe these were, this was like a band that you knew or friends of yours. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that this was licensed music. Uh, so tell me a bit about building that into the story in the game. Well, it's something that we had wanted from really early, and, you know, indie developers don't normally license, like, existing bands, right? Like, you know, it's it's common to have an original score for your game, and it's common for, you know, Rockstar or whatever to, to do licensed soundtracks, but it's kind of a weird territory for, like, a very small indie studio to actually go to a record label and say, we want to license these bands and these tracks and everything, but... Um, the the label that these that that the you know original uh, riot girl bands were on is here in town and you know that music is both 15 20 years old and uh fairly obscure um you know like we wanted to get bikini kill who's the most known of those bands and like they were out of our price range um but so we you know but but we we wanted all three of these bands we, we liked all of their music and they were very iconic of the time and the place because all those bands come from like Olympia, Washington, you know, and so it's, it's part of the, the region and the, the time. And so we, we, we got two of, of the three that we wanted and we, we chose tracks that felt like they would fit different points in the story tonally. Um, but the, but the thing is we wanted it from very early on. We didn't get it until much later because we are four people. We don't have much of a track record. We're not. We don't have the publishers with like lawyers and 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 stuff behind us. Um, we don't have any clout basically, and we don't have very much money. So it took us a really long time to basically convince them. Yes, we want to pay you, and we can pay you. Uh, and can we please get a contract to sign and so on and so forth? So like after I don't know six months of badgering them, we finally got the rights and um, and put the music in the game, and we were really excited about that. Um, so, yeah, two of the three bands that appear in the game are, you know, actual master recordings from uh, from the 90s. Um, Heavens to Betsy and Bratmobile are both um, Riot Girl bands that, that were from that time. And then the third band, which is um, Lonnie's band in the fiction that we call Girl Scout in the fiction, they are... Um, 
played by, let's say, um, a local band here in Portland. It's like a garage band with a female singer that we met at a, at a music thing that, that we went to. And, you know, they're very, they're, they're not signed and they're not well known and so on and so forth. So we got an agreement with them to say, we really like your music. It's like the perfect sound for the kind of music that one of our characters would play. And so we want to license your tracks and then put them in the game as the characters band. And oh, that's that awesome. Cool? Yeah. So, um, what are, so, yeah, give, who yeah. are they? Tell me about them, this band. It's a band called the Youngins. And, uh, yeah, they're a Portland band and they have one album and you can buy it on Bandcamp. Um, we link to it on our blog and stuff. And, uh, it's just really good, like, well-written, you know, loud garage rock that sounds like it could have come from 1994, but, uh, is very contemporary and, uh, we're super happy that we met them. And for folks looking on Bandcamp, camp, is it Youngins, the word young, and then U-N-S? Uh, it's I-N-S, uh, yeah, Y-O-U-N-G-I-N-S. Great, awesome. Um, uh, did you, I imagine part of development was thinking about what's going to happen if the licensing falls through. There just would have been no cassette tapes in the house? Maybe? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, Dad's music is just from archive.org, you know, it's like free, free uh, sort of public domain music, Um so maybe we would have had some more stuff like that or something, or maybe it would have all been the local band that we found, you know, but, um, or maybe we just would have had, I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but we are really, really glad that we could get, like we, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. We have a mix of like old timey music and Chris Remo's original score that plays yeah. throughout the game. And this very, like this very contemporary, sound that is almost dissonant with the rest of the experience that is so like old dark wood ominous you know kind of almost quiet um uh uh almost like nostalgic feeling as far as like nostalgic for the far past um and then part of this contemporary family inhabiting the space is the music that is associated with with sam that is just so in opposition to the overall feeling of the rest of the game, I'm 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 happy that we have that effect and could rely on them. And it's such a great expression of of her frustration too. Like I I remember as a kid being into punk music, and it was simply because it was better than just yelling all the time. But, uh, <laughs> it, it definitely taps into you know her frustration and how she must be feeling and how. There's all these like hormones that are just raging and how she wants an outlet for it. Uh, I yeah. could definitely identify with that. And the dissonance was so important, too. This Because that was another thing, too, Steve, that I would have hated if someone had ruined for me. If someone had told me, yeah, there's Riot Girl music in here, I, I wouldn't want to know that. I, I just <laughs> loved discovering that along with Sam discovering it. You know, I discovered yeah. it as she did, and it was a part of the experience. And her development kind of mirrored my development as I was learning about her. Um so that, that worked out great. Uh, okay, and finally, tell me how you feel about people who say there is uh, there's no gameplay here. Um, I mean, it's it's really a question of your definition, I guess, because you know from the beginning, we very very explicitly said we we made a decision like we're not going to have combat, we're not going to have puzzles. There isn't going to be any kind of stuff that's testing you. And saying you have to solve this encounter or this this puzzle before you can keep playing, like prove that you're smart enough or good enough at, at manipulating the the buttons to to get to the next part. Mm-hmm. We decided that all of your verbs were going to be in support of exploration, and so if you explore well enough, you'll find what you need to get to the next part, so you can continue exploring. Blah blah blah. Um, 
And to do that, we wanted to make a game that was deeply interactive, more interactive, like a more interactive world than you normally encounter in a game. Because part of my frustration with so many games, and part one of the things that I love so much about um, the games that are our inspirations, like the Looking Glass legacy of System Shock and, and Deus Ex and Thief um, and the Bioshock games, is that you can touch so much of the world and you can open drawers and you can turn on sinks and you can look under the bed and um and so many games you play at arm's length you know you're you're you you can't get any closer than the than the 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 barrel of your gun you know like you can only look at things that you're interested in by aiming down the scope at them you know and 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 so it was always our intent to say we're going to make this one house and we're going to make it as deeply meaningfully interactive as possible so you can pick things up and you can look at them from every angle and you can learn things from from very carefully investigating the environment. And if that's not gameplay, that's not gameplay. So I think that the gameplay, one connotation with that word is that there is progression and that maybe it's not a win-lose scenario, but you're at least, you know, like, like accomplishing things, you know, or, or, or whatever, getting achievements or whatever you want to say. And the thing that I'll say about that is... Clearly, there's a progression through the game, right? Like as you get you as you as you get the audio diaries, you're rebuilding Sam's story, and as you unlock areas, you're you're gaining access to more of the the space. But also, I feel like there is an element of mastery to the experience where you start out and you are in a totally unfamiliar location, and by the time you finished, you not only have mapped out all the rooms, but you understand new connections that allow you to think of the house as a more interconnected space and allow you to navigate it more effectively by saying, ah, but I know that the East Hall is connected to the basement via the zine room, and you can go up to the guest room to get to mom and dad's room by going through there more quickly than going back to the foyer. And, you know, and like, you you, you gain this this control over the space by what you discover in your playthrough. Um which I think is is also valuable, but you know if you only if you only if you only define gameplay as winning combat encounters and solving puzzles, then I guess we don't have it. When when you talk about there not being puzzles, because this was my first, one of the things that I wrote in my notes as well, is that there aren't the traditional puzzles where you stick different inventory pieces together to get a key or to somehow unlock information. I mean, you have combination locks but as it was occurring to me that you don't have puzzles um it also occurred to me and i i feel a little stupid that this has never occurred to me before and i imagine you guys have thought of this it is like a puzzle if you acknowledge that jigsaw puzzles are also puzzles um in that you you're assembling pieces of information into a bigger picture and that's clearly why people like to do jigsaw puzzles except the payoff for a jigsaw puzzle is an image. The right. payoff here is is a narrative, and it's and and even in the way you go into a room and turn on a light, that means okay, I exam- I've examined this piece. I've sort of categorized. This is a place I've been, and it's like you sort the pieces out with jigsaw puzzles. So for me, even though yeah, there's none of the traditional like logic or inventory puzzles, the whole thing does feel like a jigsaw puzzle, like fitting yeah. together these pieces. Uh, so in that regard. Uh, I don't want people to say there are no puzzles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will, I will say that. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that. I think the story is the puzzle in the game, um, but it isn't. But it is not 
the traditional idea of mist where it's like, oh, to get into the kitchen, I have to turn these three gears in the right order, right? Um, so um, it is it is a bit more meta of, of the concept of a, of a puzzle than that. Uh, do you have, and I, I imagine some people might not like being asked this, so maybe you don't, but in, in telling the, the story of Gone Home, can you point to influences? Like either either books or movies or even other games that you feel in influenced you. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. Go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I definitely can. I mean, you know, there are our greatest inspirations as far as a game and mechanics and how you interact with the world are the the, the Looking Glass Legacy, going from System Shock all the way up to to Bioshock and, and Dishonored. Um, just that that feeling of making the world feel immersive and letting you fulfill a role in it in a way that that is completely um you know uh consistent you know like consistent worlds that you can interact with to to express your role in it um are really inspiring to us um but then media wise you know i i we we rewatched um my so-called life which i think is a really good 90s teen narrative that's a television show the Claire Danes uh, thing yeah yeah uh it was a season and a half um it's really good. Uh, if you if you can get it on DVD or watch it on Netflix or or whatever, um, there's a Peter Jackson movie, uh, Heavenly Creatures, which probably there's an obvious a lot of obvious parallels there. If you've seen it, have you watched that movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Um, I think actually I miss. I'm gonna have to check now. I think I misidentified it in in the review as Beautiful Creatures, which oh, I think okay. is one of those movies that just came out about a teenage girl who's a mother's a witch or something. But yeah, I, de- <laughs> I definitely know the Peter Jackson one. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, like I don't know. The, I was my biggest influence for like lighting because I did the lighting in the house was like David Lynch's lighting of of uh-huh. interiors in like Blue Velvet, you know. Um, uh-huh. So there. there there, there's definitely been um, a number of influences, both from in games, but also kind of thematically and aesthetically stuff um, outside of games, for sure. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, and did you uh, expect? Uh, are you surprised at how well it's being received? You, I, I, and I ask that because I think surely you can't be. I mean, you must have known that this is something special and unique. Um, so I guess I'm not asking you to brag, but um, you, what I'm getting at is you knew this was going to be critically acclaimed, didn't you? Um, it's one of those things where it's like I thought I thought we had made something good, right? Like I wasn't insecure about like I like, I felt like I thought it was good, which you know like that's the that's the only thing you really have any control over, right? Is like you start out and your audience is yourself, and right. you're trying to make something that you would enjoy or that you would believe was a quality thing. And, and when we finished, I was like, all right, I think, I think we made something that I would think was good. And, and that's cool. And I, I, I thought that some reviewers would connect with it a lot. I didn't know, for instance, a, I didn't know how many reviewers would connect with it strongly because it seems to be a lot and, and that's great. Um, and I did not expect to get so many, we've gotten so many emails from people oh. saying like, like, thank you for making this game. And I really identified with this game in a way that I've never identified with, like, another piece of media and stuff like that, which is, like, that's not something you could ever imagine happening. And we've had a, we've had a lot of, you know, there's been this refrain in emails that are like, I never I never write to people who make stuff I like, but I had to make an exception in this case or whatever, which is just overwhelming. Like, you can't, you can't, I don't know how you react to that except for being, like, extremely grateful, you know? And 
and we've, you know, it's, it's like, it's really weird. We've made a game that in the same day, like Anita Sarkeesian and Courtney Stanton were raving about it. And then Cliffy B played it and wrote a blog post about how much he liked it. And it's like, (laughs) you know, like, like for, for both polls of, of the critical mechanism, um, to be really enthusiastic about the thing that we made is just like incredible to see. And we're, and we're really humbled by it and happy that it uh, connects with, with so many different people. Well, uh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer game. I feel. <laughs> so. Thank you. All right. Well, Steve, I, I, uh, I, I was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So sorry. I was also really happy to see that you liked it because I, you know, like I've, I've read quarter to three for a long time and you were the most unpredictable reviewer that I'm aware <laughs> Like, you know, like you loved Bioshock 2 and you gave Last of Us a, a 3 out of 5. And like, right. I love State of Decay and you gave that a 5. And like, so I, I had no <laughs> idea whether you were going to say, I love this and it's amazing or whether you, you were going to say 2 out of 5. This house doesn't feel realistic. I don't know why I want to <laughs> this stuff. If this story wasn't in a game, why would you even, you know, like I, I had no idea where it was going. So I was very, sure. I was very happy to see that you enjoyed it. Uh, in a way, I appreciate you saying that. I, I would hate to be predictable. Um, but it is, uh, I find it really instructive to talk, for instance, with people about why this game does. And so far, I haven't, I, I've had a few, I, I know a few people, we have a fairly active forum, and a few people on the forum have said things like, uh, it was predictable, or it felt too young adulty. Um, so I can kind of understand some people's reservations with it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, for I me, mean, this is just right up my alley. I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing I love seeing done with, with video games. And even, by the way, when somebody says it's predictable, uh, I don't necessarily disagree because you guys put a lot of clues down. I, I don't think you're trying to hide anything so much as just gradually reveal the who's and the where's and the why's and the and the outcomes of it. Yeah. Um, well, and there's and, a there's kind of a classic misdirection that you know that I you know it's like. I really love, for instance, Sunset Boulevard, right? And, ah, right. And it starts out with the dude dead in a pool, right? <laughs> so from the beginning, it's saying, this guy's dead. And then you watch the whole movie, and it's like, over the course of the movie, there's this misdirection of rooting for him and being like, oh, I hope this works out for him. It's like, he's dead in a pool, guys. <laughs> um, and, and, and so it's a similar thing, I think, for us, of like, at the outset, if you take it on face value, Sam basically says, I ran away from home. Don't try to find out where I went. We'll see each other again someday. And so she's saying, I ran away from home. I'm not dead. And 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 then throughout the course of the game, so many people have have said, like, I had this incredible sense of dread as I went towards the attic that I was, like, going to find her, you know, that she had killed herself up there or, or, you know, whatever. And then it comes back to at the end. It's like, I ran away. I'm okay. Don't try right. to find me, you know? And, and so just, like, getting caught up in the narrative and forgetting... Yeah. The, the the premise and and thinking maybe there's going in another direction and then bringing being brought back down to earth is more of the the arc that I guess we were going for and it is very much like that sunset Boulevard thing like you you guys have all of these cues and the tone and stuff there there is all this misdirection as you're going you know as you're watching sunset Boulevard thinking hey this William Holden fella is that is that right is that Holden Oh, I don't remember yeah but you're thinking hey that you know I'm I'm I sort of feel for this guy and what he's having to put up with and uh, if you just remembered, you know how it's going to end up. Right. Uh, and the the whole movie is sort of a fake out in a way. Uh, and so, yeah, I love how you guys have done something similar. Um, so so I, yeah, I, I, I interrupt you. Go on. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, so uh, I know you have put, you've, you've 
released this uh, a week ago. It's you're probably still dealing with you're reeling from it being out and that whole postpartum of it being done and reading the reactions and stuff. Do you, Steve Gaynor, also get time to play other games? Uh, a little bit. Um, I, I've been neglecting my uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf Town a little bit uh, in the last few weeks, but um, aside from that, I did take the time to download the um, the second DLC episode for Dishonored because um, I'm a huge fan of, of Dishonored, and um, I'm actually I'm I'm I am uh, I'm proud to consider myself at least a, a, a close acquaintance, if not a friend, of uh, Harvey Smith, who, who was the lead designer on Deus Ex and the uh, and the one of the creative directors on on Dishonored. And in fact, here's an Easter egg that I'll share. Uh, do you remember in the entryway if you look behind the 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 the, the dresser, there's a birthday card. Um, that, that you can read that's got the dog and the sunglasses on the front. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. Okay. So we needed we needed handwriting for that because I wanted it to just be <laughs> from some random uncle character. And so I, I, I Twitter DM'd Harvey and said, can you write happy birthday, Sam, from Uncle Harvey on a piece of paper and, like, take a photo of your cell phone? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, so, so that's Harvey Smith's handwriting in our, in our entry, which is a little little seal of approval kind of thing. Uh, that is awesome. From, that's from great. Our, from our looking glass uh, uh, aspiration. So, anyway... Um, I, I've played partway through the, the first, um, the, or the second, uh, DLC for Dishonored, which is called the Brigmore Witches. And, uh, speaking of which, uh, the first episode, or the first, um, level of, of the DLC takes place in a big prison, um, with a bunch of cells that have people in them. And there's a, there's this kind of overlook, uh, control room where you manipulate the controls to open individual cells so that you can, uh, get into them and then, you have to break somebody out and they fall unconscious and you have to carry them out. And it's a, it's a very clear and really loving allusion to the second level of the first thief game, which is basically the same thing. Go into a prison, open up the cells, use the controls, and then you have to carry the guy out unconscious over your shoulder to the exit. And, uh, it was a lot of fun and they did an awesome job with it. And it's, it's cool to see those, those kinds of nods in, uh, in modern games. Mm -hmm. Uh, when they're doing the DLC, uh, for dishonored, is it, is it standalone DLC or does it tap into your your character build from the core game? Does it um, reboot it, you? It it uh, it requires the the base game, but you don't play as Corvo. You play as a different character who is actually the assassin that kills the Empress at the beginning of Dishonored. So you play from his point of view. So your character build is totally different, but they use your save game. Um, from the main game to determine some events of the story, like some decisions that you made in the main game will be paid off in the state of the world um, when you're playing through the, the DLC based on what you did. Very cool. Good. Uh, and if you were pressed to name a game of the week, would it be that? Um, ooh, ooh, gosh. I, I, I've been so disconnected from, from stuff uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um... Is, I'm trying to think if there's something else like cool or exciting or whatever that's that's come out that I really want people to play. I mean, have you talked about that game Papers Please at all? No, I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, so, yeah, so, it's so almost I, one. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. I, so I would say if you you know if you like Dishonored and and you want more of it, then, then the DLCs they've released are really cool. And um, but there's this indie game called Papers Please that is similarly kind of to Gone Home, like a very mundane simulation. Of being the border control guard at the at the at the border of some you know post-Soviet state, um, and and it says a lot with its mechanics and with its setting. Um, they're very interesting, and it just came out on 
on Steam um, just recently as well. Possibly, I think I think this week or the end of last week as well, and that's worth um, checking out. It's it's a really interesting uh, game. Now I know what they're doing there is uh, the idea is that as this border control agent, you have to. Uh, feed and I think provide heating even for your family. Uh, yeah. So if you screw up on your job and you show too much compassion, letting the wrong people through or whatever, you won't make enough money to to care for your family. Uh, but it requires you to do things that you as a player might not want to do by keeping people out because of stupid bureaucratic inefficiencies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Do you know is Papers Please? Is there a self-contained narrative or is it an emergent thing with dynamic elements? Uh, um, it's, I think it's it's a little bit between the two of them. Like it has it like story events that happen as you play through that kind of happen in a scripted way. But then in between those points, like the people you encounter and whether they are legal or not, and and like the the systemic the systemic stuff that you interact with, I think is randomized and is dynamic. And there is some chance to how many people you know each day um, you can let through legally or, or not and all that kind of stuff. But it definitely has also an arc of like a resistance movement reaching out to you and trying to get you to, to let people oh. through on their behalf and stuff like that, um, which which does have like an authored arc to it. Do you know offhand who made it? I, I wish that I knew the name of the, the creator, but uh, it, it doesn't come straight. So it is, it's it's like a first time. Is it a first time new developer? It's uh, we know it's not like from an, an indie company that people would know. It is it, it isn't from someone that I can just say right okay. off the top right. of my head like oh it's it's Derek Yu the guy who made Splunky or something. Uh, right, it, right. <laughs> it, it is at least an early effort. I think it's the most visible thing that the developer has uh, has released so far. It's also one of those things that I. I, I, I'm not saying I've heard too much about it. I don't want to play it. But, man, I would have loved if somebody had just said, here, Tom, play this, and told me nothing about it. Uh, forget it's one the, of those forget that thing I said about the story then. <laughs> well, I've, I, no, I've heard so many other sp- specifics about it just from listening to other podcasts and talking to friends. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it is not just you. <laughs> uh, are you much of a, a board gamer? Like, Do you do any tabletop games or any of that stuff? I, I I honestly really never got into that side of things. I mean, I've played a little bit with you know because you know you you hang around with enough game developers and, and you have the opportunity. And I've played this and that, but I I would not say that I am keyed into that scene at all. No, not really. Okay. Uh, well, normally Steve, I would also pick a game of the week, but I'm actually going to refrain because my game of the week is uh, is freaking Saints Row Four, which. <laughs> which a whole bunch of us who are playing it are going to talk about it on the podcast next week. But uh, is, is lowbrow over the top stuff like that beneath you, Steve Gaynor? <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to check out the uh, Saints Row 4. I have, I have it downloaded on my steam. I just haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't clicked it up yet, but um, I mean, there, there's some, there's some games that are some of my favorites that are really, that do not take themselves seriously, which is, like I, I did, you know, did you play um, God Hand on the PS2? Oh God, of course, yeah, I love God yeah. Hand. Yeah, God <laughs> Hand is a fantastic game, and Resident Evil Four is one of my very, very favorite games. And you know, like it, it Resident Evil Four walks a great line of being a ridiculous, tongue-in-cheek story, but also being really tense and and terrifying, and and playing to both of those strengths. And then God Hand is just a really hardcore mechanical game that takes an incredible amount of attention and also is completely ridiculous uh, in its presentation. I really, I really love that. So um, it's all about modulating that stuff, but, but yeah. I can definitely get into it. Did, did Bayonetta work for you? I was, I was less excited about that, both because I'm not 
normally a fan of that kind of like combo based, you know, string based kind of Devil May Cry game. Like I, I don't really get into the depths of, of of mining those systems. But also, it it felt like it did not. The perviness of it did not seem <laughs> tongue in cheek to me. <laughs> that seemed sincere, and that made me a little bit creeped out <laughs> but uh so I, I you know like some of it was was cool and also just the execution of it i was like really i get the joke this cutscene has to be like eight minutes long are you serious <laughs> uh so you know it, it didn't it didn't really land with me in a lot of ways but i did play through a bunch of it and it was fun it was cool uh, steve are, are you maybe are you maybe just uncomfortable with seeing a sarah palin lookalike highly <laughs> sexualized i can understand that might make a lot of men uncomfortable no, I'm 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 uncomfortable with the proportions. Uh, her head is so small; it doesn't make sense. <laughs> she uh, has a tiny, tiny bowling ball head. It's really weird. Man, I hope you're not going to ruin the game for me now. Next time I play it, because I don't think I rem- I don't think I noticed that. Now I'm going to be looking at the size of her head. <laughs> like you know, have, have you ever done any like have you ever done any like figure drawing or any of that? Kind oh, of good stuff? lord, no, no. I'm okay, fortunate. So- Lucky for me, I'm completely oblivious about that kind of stuff. When you're looking at like character design, or when you're looking at proportions of of someone you're drawing in figure drawing or something like that, you the the person is X heads high because everybody's head is, is different. But you know, if somebody's very tall, they are probably like seven or eight heads high instead of you know six or seven if you're shorter or something. And uh, Bayonetta is like sixteen heads tall. <laughs> Her head is so <laughs> tiny. Anyway, you know uh, it bothered me. She might just have a birth defect or something, in which case I hope you feel appropriately shamed. I would I would definitely have strong remorse if, if she just had a condition. <laughs> uh, so you're you're playing through some uh, Dishonored. Is there anything, and this, this may not even be on your radar, is there anything coming out this year that you're super psyched about? Like if you think about the next thing you're really psyched to pick up, is there something you're looking forward to? Or are you more of a roll with the new releases kind of guy? I, I well... I need to be paying better attention at this point because I've just been so heads down on on this thing for the last month or so. But um, I'm really, I mean, I'm really interested to see what um, what Rockstar does with GTA V because I watched the little, you know, kind of like tutorial feature video thing that they did and like the switching between three protagonists uh, fluidly, whether you're in a mission or outside of a mission. Like that's really ambitious and fascinating, and I'm I'm really interested to see. How that plays? Um, I, you know, I, yeah, I did the, not. E- I had no idea it did that. Thanks for ruining Saints Row Five for me. I, no, no, it's GTA Five. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, GTA Five. See, I've got Saints Row on the on the mind. Good lord. Um, so I, I'm I'm really interested in that, and I always I'm always interested to see what Rockstar does. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I need to look at the release list again and just see what what's out there because I'm 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 ready to start playing more stuff again. Yeah, even when I don't necessarily like what Rockstar is doing or their their design choices don't agree with me, uh, I I just love how true they are to what they want to do, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah, well, and I mean, I really I think that they they try they they try a lot harder in interestingly ambitious ways than they need to to be successful, right? Like the stuff that they did with the player character and identity and stuff at the end of like Red Dead Redemption was fascinating and nobody said they had to do that, right? And they they, they really do try to push the boundaries of, of the the role that the player inhabits and what they can do with that in a way that I think is really admirable and is way more than just all right, let's make another city with guns in it, right? You right, know? So exactly. I, I respect that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Steve, I uh, congratulations on, on how well Gone Home is done. Like I said, it couldn't have happened to a nicer game, uh, and I really appreciate you uh, hanging out with me today and, and talking about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Tom. It was fun. Uh, for folks listening, follow us on Twitter at, at QT3, the letter Q, the letter T, the number three. Uh, please like us on Facebook, uh, and if you can, uh, give us a rating on iTunes. We, we always love that. Uh, and join us next week for some serious uh, Saints rowing. Uh, I'm Tom Chick, and I'll see everyone next week. Mm-hmm.